Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about printing and feminism. On this episode, I am joined by Miriam Fanny and Sarah Common, who are two-thirds of the design collective MMS, along with Matilda Flodmark. Collaborating since 2012, MMS focuses on investigations and writings about visual culture, graphic design, and historiography from a feminist perspective. They recently published with Occasional Papers a new book called Natural Enemies of Books, A Messy History of Women in Printing and Typography. The edited anthology looks at the relationships between feminism and printing, graphic design, and labor. The book, like all of their collaborations, seeks to uh, expand and perhaps problematize the histories of graphic design and printing. I loved this book. It's exactly the kind of design history book that I like and want to see more of. And I felt like I was discovering another side of the field that I was, you know, frankly embarrassed to know little about. So that's where we start this conversation. We talk about the book and the origins of the project. We talk about the parallels between women and labor and printing from history and how that relates to today and why we need to move towards a more messy history of graphic design. This all leads to questions around expanding the nature of design, of course, and the value of collaborations. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that is written by me, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like Scratching the Surface and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm members. Thank you for listening, and here is my conversation with MMS's Marion Fanny and Sarah Common. Your book, this new book that just came out, Natural Enemies of Books, uh, is kind of loosely framed around or based upon or in dialogue with this older book that you found, The Distaff Side. And I'm curious kind of how you encountered that book and and if you could kind of talk about what that book means to you and how that kind of prompted the book that you ended up producing. Yeah, um, we I think we need to bring uh, Matilda into the conversation then, who was not able to be here. Uh, but she found the book... Um, on an online exhibition catalog um, mm. for an exhibition at Princeton, I think. Uh, the exhibition was called Unseen Hands, and it was a, a survey of of women working in printing and typography. Um, yeah, a h- historical survey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that book was mentioned in the exhibition um, catalog. Well, she she decided she wanted to do some more research on this book and uh, applied for a, a travel grant uh, to uh, travel to the U.S. Uh, and I believe the university library then uh, to have the opportunity to uh, read the book through it. And uh, she uh, she was. Um, awarded the grant uh, and then uh, decided to uh, buy a copy 
uh, instead because she suddenly found uh, a copy at a rare bookshop online. So that's how that's the story of how this one copy of this uh, 100 edition um, book uh, came into came to uh, Stockholm. <laughs> yeah. Can you just just for for listeners, can you describe and talk about what that book? was and and kind of why why it became the framework for the book that you you then created yeah um i mean when matilda bought it she didn't really know what she was buying she had seen a, a table of content and some some short things about it on this other website uh, but when she got it uh she realized it's like a, a treasure um it was printed in or published in 1937 uh, and the full title is Bookmaking on the Distaff side, uh, which means bookmaking on the female side. Mm. Um, and the book is, um, it's, it's like a collage or a kind of, um, well, it's an anthology um, with different contributions uh, from women at that time working in printing and typography or researching women in printing and typography. Um, and it's a very crafty book, or sort of <laughs> crafted. It's like a beautiful <laughs> object. Um, it's hand-bound, obviously, and all the different signatures are printed on different paper and designed by different people. Uh, so the object itself is very... Um, like tactile and beautiful. Uh, and then the content is really interesting, <laughs> or we found right. it super interesting um, because it's like so many different voices from women um, at that time. And I think our, or I don't know if I can speak for all of us, but our experience of learning about the history of printing and typography um, from like the 1920s, 30s, 40s uh, has been lacking a lot right. of female voices or voices other than men. Um, so that was, yeah, like we needed to do something with it <laughs> somehow. I mean, I, I, I guess that's kind of what's interesting to me about that book and how your book then is in dialogue with that book because something that you say at the beginning of natural enemies of books is that you thought you know perhaps we almost do uh I, I i'm sorry i forget kind of your exact phrasing but almost like a second edition or a new edition of that with people working today women working today and that that somehow felt limiting uh in a way that so much of design or typography history is already limiting. Can you talk a little bit about the process of putting together natural enemies of books and kind of your goals for that and talking about the role of women in printing and typography and design today? Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, books like this can be, it could be done in so many uh, different ways, uh, obviously. Uh, we uh, one of our departure points um, has been the concept of uh, messy history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
by uh, the design uh, historian Martha Scott Ford, right. um, where she suggests that messy history is um, um, a concept that can be understood as um, as con- contrasting to neat history, which is right. kind of conventional history writing um, that follows the mechanisms of uh, capitalist and patriarchal structures. Um, and uh, the, the messiness about messy history is that it suggests a less uh, linear uh, idea of mm-hmm. history and history writing uh, and acknowledges um, a lot of uh, voices and experiences uh, that take place um, outside of what is normally being um, included in history writing. Uh, so um, departing from that uh, idea, which is also um, one of our key uh, concepts, let's say, in, in our collaboration, our curiosity about um, uh, experiences that are not that ha- are not maybe considered even to be uh, classified as or categorized as design or included in design history. Uh, so that's kind of um, the foundation, uh, foundational idea of uh, how we came to do uh, design the book in this way and edit it uh, like this, uh, rather than, for example, um, asking for contributions by um, right. contemporary design practices. I mean, that would have been interesting as well, but we were particularly interested in uh, taking further uh the 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 content of this uh, original book the book making on this this side from the 1937 and and, and uh, um histories about uh women in printing <laughs> that is right. just there and and to kind of make a uh, contemporary contribution that takes this uh, the same that discussion further and explores uh, what has happened since that book was published and uh, what is there now to say about um, the uh, the 20th century uh, experiences of uh, women printing together uh, and the potential of that. Yeah, it's interesting to me and it was interesting to me when I was reading the book because the, your book seems kind of simultaneously a book that is looking at the history of women in printing and typography and, and, and especially the history around bookmaking on the distaff side. But it's also a book that is very much about the kind of contemporary condition and the contemporary condition of women in design and, and typography today. And I'm wondering if in the research of this book, do you have a sense on if and how the role of women in typography has changed in since 1937. Wow. <laughs> you know what you know what I mean? Like like it it, it felt so. It, it like even reading about the history, it still felt very like oh, are we still have we gotten any better? Mm. You know what I mean. Mm. Like I, I, let me let me let me phrase the question a different way because I'm I'm also very interested in in Scofford's idea of messy history and I still feel like we teach and talk about design history 
in the mode of neat history mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff is still considered alternative different messy um outside of the mainstream and I guess what I'm wondering is how do we, I, I'm not asking you to solve this question, but I'm asking, I, I'm really asking if you have thoughts on this. Is it possible to get to a, to a point where this is not considered alternative design history? And, you know, I, I guess this is a long way to kind of get to this question, but what struck me reading the book is how many of the figures that you reference were unknown to me and they should not have been unknown to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do, we, how, do we, how do we move beyond, or, or is it even possible to move beyond, or have we moved beyond this idea of thinking of certain types of designers or certain, t- certain types of design practices as alternative or outside, mm-hmm. I guess? Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's an interesting... Um, dilemma or it's an interesting question that is sort of under underlying maybe the Mm -hmm. book or like a sort of sub yeah like something running through Um, and I think there are a lot of um, things happening at the moment right now in rewriting history design history Mm -hmm. um, or or experience Expanding or exploding uh, the design history canon um, mm-hmm. in ways that are um, like not sort of repeating um, this this format of uh, the one person uh, success right. story, right. Um, which excludes so many um, so many practices in design and typography. Uh, like it's not possible to write a history that is uh, just like zooming in or spotlighting uh, single names, or it becomes a very, very, very limited history. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't know if that was an answer to your question, but I think it's possible and I think it's happening um, right now in <laughs> different people doing research and uh, like writing other histories yeah and it's also about like not necessarily um i think um it's it's not about uh, only so to say uh, adding to <laughs> the uh, current structure of uh, design history writing by by adding uh, individual success stories or successful designers <laughs> but uh it's uh um, rather about um, renegotiating uh, what can be uh, considered uh, design and what kind of mm. practices mm. Uh, and activities that um, can be uh, introduced to uh, to what um, uh, yeah what design um, can be mm. <laughs> so um, not necessarily yeah. that we need to. Um, I mean, even maybe even the uh, concept uh, design can be renegotiated, so to say. Yeah. And I think another thing that we are um, 
sort of secretly trying to do with the book, or maybe not so secret, is <laughs> uh, bringing in the the question of working conditions yeah. and talking about um, working conditions of the past and how they have sort of shifted and morphed and changed through history, uh, through the machines that we are working mm-hmm. with that have changed. Um, and I think that would be an interesting, or I think that's an important um, sort of lens to look at history through and also looking at the present. Yeah, it's that, that's, it's interesting to me too, because as I was reading your book, I was also reading the new book by um, Danielle Aubert on the Detroit Printing Co-op. Mm. Um for a, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing her soon also. And, and both of your books were similar in the sense that it was looking at the history of printing and the history of typography. And sure, let's we can use the word design also here uh, as a lens to talk about, yes, the kind of formal qualities of these things and what the, the kind of printing or the typographic uh, languages did. But primarily looking at these ideas as a lens to talk about uh, feminism, to talk about the history of labor, to talk about unions. Um, how do you, how did you kind of think about that lens, um, both in the process of this book, but also thinking about your own practices, um, you know, kind of putting your practices into this lineage? How, how do these kind of ideas of unions, of labor, of, of feminism, of, um, kind of this uh, uh, ideas of, of reproduction. Um, did this change how you kind of thought about your own work today? Um, what's um, sort of uh, important to know about bookmaking on the distaff side is that it's a book that comes from sort of fine printing tradition. So it's like mm. a very exclusive object and mm-hmm. um, it doesn't to well, it does contain histories of, of working conditions and labor, but when we researched further uh, and brought in the interviews with Megan and Gail in London, uh, that was a way to um, to bring in working conditions that are maybe closer to the present and mm. closer to a sort of um, uh, yeah labor history, design history, that is not so exclusive perhaps or not so um expensive i don't know um so i think that was yeah i think i don't know i lost my thread mayam do you want to add anything i i um i think it's relevant what you're saying because uh in a way, I mean, uh, bookmaking on the uh, on the desktop side uh, was only printed in 100 copies, and uh, in a way, one could say that it wasn't um, supposed for uh, wide distribution, <laughs> uh, but it was rather um, a contribution to uh, book uh, like printing history. Uh, within a certain audience, uh, perhaps, um, and uh, and I guess our attempt is uh, 
rather or has been uh, throughout our collaboration we have been driven by uh, popularizing um, this kind of uh, feminist and uh, workers history approach to uh, design so I don't know if that was <laughs> what you were uh, going for Sarah as well but yeah uh, I mean, we have been doing, uh, previous to editing this book, we've also been uh, arranging uh, study groups and lectures at the mm-hmm. uh, Workers' Education uh, Association uh, here in Stockholm, for, ex- for instance, uh, and, um, um, and in various ways trying to kind of uh, provoke discussions about uh, design in relation to um, labor and um uh, women's history uh, in mm-hmm. in are- arenas uh, beyond uh, academia, um, so that's kind of uh, w- one of our <laughs> um, central uh, interests. Mm. I just wanted to say that I think what we find when 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 we bring these discussions or these angles to the table is that a lot of people are really sort of desiring to talk about. What does it mean to freelance, and what does it mean to to work on your own, and um, both sort of psychologically and emotionally, but also about the actual, um, yeah, the 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 way your your body is affected by working on your laptop mm. in a sort of hunched over, um, yeah, everything that you're taking for for granted, sort of, and is an everyday, and but to discuss it together and. Uh, look at it through the lens of of history yeah and it's interesting and and you've you've uh you kind of saw where i was going with this question actually because i wanted to start to put this book into um the context of of your your larger work and of the collaboration um that that the two of you along with matilda have been doing um since 2012 you you collaborate under the name mms and on your website, you describe this collaboration as uh, investigations and writings on visual culture, graphic design, and the historiography histi- from feminist perspectives. And I would love to hear more about the origins of this collaboration and the goals for these various projects, because like you said, they do take the form of various things there's this book you've curated shows you do reading groups you've you've kind of edited other collections um how do, how do you kind of see this collaboration what do you hope uh kind of comes out of it we were asked this question in um uh, in a mail interview email interview uh mm. the other day and i was uh, thinking of uh the, i mean looking back uh it's uh, only eight years ago, but I think uh, the time around 2010 was, uh, in, in the years around uh, that time, was um, a formative uh, period for many people, perhaps. And I think I was asking myself, like, how come we uh, formed as a group in that moment? Uh, and I think um, um, in that period of time, uh, well, obviously, the uh, financial crisis was in mm-hmm. 2008, and then we experienced a lot of privatizations and uh, cuts in education. And in, in 2011, 
uh, we saw introduction of um, tuition fees uh, for international students here in mm. Sweden, and uh, Matilda and I uh, met uh, through uh, those uh, protests against the introduction of mm. tuition fees. And I remember there were also um, large um, meetings arranged uh, for uh, feminists within uh, art and design, uh, which I think um, led to different um, initiatives <laughs> departing from those big meetings. Uh, but I guess, like looking back, I can see that there was uh, this kind of a, a period of time that um, where people formed groups <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in ways. And I think, uh, I don't know if, if this resonates with you, Sarah, but I think, uh, at least for me, uh, this kind of um, new uh, political landscape. Also in 2010, uh, the um, far-right uh, nationalist party mm-hmm. didn't enter parliament. So there was this kind of new uh, political landscape that was uh, formative uh, for uh, for myself and people around me. Mm. And uh, I think um, as a design student, uh, we all had a need to... Um, uh, or I did at least, <laughs> the need to kind of um, uh, to be part of um, a um, kind of, um, what do you say, mm, a commitment uh, where you kind of uh, promise each other that we will uh, investigate things <laughs> together uh, right. more long term, uh, not only uh, this week or this month, but uh, in a more a longer perspective. Um, uh, and uh, in, yeah, so that's kind of um, um, how I think uh, about uh, how we uh, formed at least. Mm. Yeah, we, me and Matilda studied in the same class, and then Maya mm. and. Matilda also met in school um, and I think we shared this sort of um, desire to to go beyond the individualist narrative and or strategy mm-hmm. that that we had sort of learned in school uh, and or keep learning um, so in a way, I think I re- remember it as a kind of support group uh, in in mm. the first stages um, of just a group where with with people you trust, where you can vent um, about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I I have two thoughts. Um, one, this is just this is just something that I I realized thinking about this idea of kind of like the individual, uh, and as we were talking earlier about kind of talking about design history as as a history of individuals and the problems with that, in that all of my emails with you to schedule this have come from the same email address. Uh, you know, I'm not I wasn't emailing all three of you, and that I, I assume sometimes a different person would be responding to me, but it wasn't always signed who it was from. It was just from all of you collectively, uh, which is actually a really interesting gesture. Is that intentional? Um, we've had some uh, strategies. <laughs> For a long time, we didn't, uh, we always refused uh, being photographed, uh, mm. <laughs> for example, like portrayed. Um and things like that. So I think we've been 
experimenting with uh, different strategies of uh, refusing being right. individualized in various ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not very successful to <laughs> <laughs> to sign an email uh, like that, but uh, but I guess it is intentional to some extent. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I like it a lot. I, I never knew how to how to uh, uh, like address the emails, like who who I was actually writing to. But I, I think it's I, I'm uh, it's I like it. Um, the other question that I had in what you were talking about is this idea of these projects or these investigations were thinking about the long view in addition to the right now. Uh, and that's something that really resonates with me. And it's something that I really appreciated when I was thinking about your work and in this book and even your other projects in that uh, this work took a variety of forms. Like you said, sometimes this was shows, sometimes this was a book, sometimes this is uh, kind of an edited collection of essays, sometimes this is a reading list. Mm. And I think many times the graphic designer's impulse is to respond this is a blanket statement and you know i'm 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 generalizing here um but i've been thinking about this a lot especially kind of as we're in the midst of a pandemic and kind of sheltering in place that the designers kind of initial impulse often is kind of the quick response um you know it's like oh let's design some posters to to raise awareness about this and that has always felt very short-sighted to me um and that if the let me think how to say this is the best that the designer can do is just kind of like designing the poster that raises awareness um and i'm interested in how if you if you if either of you have any thoughts on that but then also if these kind of other initiatives whether that is the book or the, you know, the reading list, are these, do you consider these design responses in the same way that like, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, designing like a poster or something? It, 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 do you see those as analogous in any way? I mean, and, and I'm, I'm phrasing that in a weird way. I mean, the better question is probably like, do you consider or does it matter? Are these works of design is this design what you're doing still as we were talking about earlier of kind of expanding or changing the definitions of design do you consider the work of mms um design work or design projects oh interesting question um i i haven't thought about it that way actually because i guess it's because i haven't um i'm i'm not so much involved in uh, that kind of use of the word design because in Mm. certain fields like i'm thinking of um um, participatory design or experiment Mm. experience design and this kind of uh fields it's uh it's more natural i guess to right yeah that's true um the the word um design or designing uh to describe actions or like a chain of activity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this kind of uh stuff but i'm um i consider myself a graphic designer and maybe i'm a graphic designer in a in a (laughs) (laughs) i design printed matter uh and and 
in our group, we have rather um, decided that uh, we, we don't do uh, commission work, uh, commission design mm. work, and kind of separate that from uh, the more like uh, reading and writing and arranging lectures and this kind of uh, mm-hmm. knowledge production practice. Uh, not saying that uh, it is not uh, about uh, designing situations because obviously <laughs> it is. Right. Um, right. But um, but we haven't kind of we haven't actively um, described our um, our collaborative practice as uh, designing situations or designing. Um, yeah. That's interesting. No, I think yeah, I think it was a, it's an interesting question that I also haven't thought about in that way and um i'm thinking um that we are graphic designers that are doing these things uh that are sort of including these practices into the practice of uh what you can do as a graphic designer Uh, but that doesn't make these reading groups or investigations works of graphic design if that makes sense right right i mean that yes, that does make sense, and and I, I th- that was not a question that I was kind of planning on asking you ahead of time. This is something I've been thinking about, mm. kind of independently of, of thinking about talking to both of you about this word design and the value, or if there is a value in holding on to that word. You know what does what does that word design mean today, and as we've been talking, it's been interesting, you know, especially talking about um, bookmaking on the distaff side and, and ideas of messy history, that in these contexts, that word design almost feels limiting. Um, and it does exclude a lot of practices and a lot of people um, who we probably could call designers, or at least c- could serve as models to look to today. Um and and so I've been thinking a lot about this idea of you know these boundaries of design and and where it where it ends if it does end or if it is even kind of useful and I think the way that you articulated that is um, for yourselves is interesting and you know you both have practices outside of this collaboration that if I'm understanding correctly you're kind of describing as quote unquote, more traditional graphic design, uh, designing printed matter, et cetera, does, do these collaborations, does organizing lectures, putting together this book, how does that research and thinking influence how you think about that other graphic design work, if it does at all? It's, I think it's diff- difficult to uh, locate where exactly um those experiences are like this kind of um uh let's say interest in uh, um social dimensions uh, of um thinking <laughs> and mm. uh, the production of knowledge how that uh, to, to locate where that um uh, in what ways and, and how it it influences uh the um designing uh, practice but i'm i'm convinced uh, it does, and um, uh, for my part, for example, I mean, I'm I've been um, involved in many different uh, collaborations 
working where, where I'm not necessarily uh, um, where I don't have the, a conventional designer role, so to say, where I'm not like responding to a brief, but I'm right. um, more of a, a uh, and an editor let's say or an artist <laughs> or whatever <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a situation um, thinking about and de- developing and articulating uh, whatever project it is um, equally as much as the other uh, participants coming from uh, other fields and I know Sarah works in this way uh, in, in some uh, collaborations as well so uh, maybe maybe that then that um this kind of engagement uh, or interest uh, also uh, opens up um, the possibilities of um, of renegotiating um, the designer role uh, for oneself. I read on your website, uh, Jared, that you describe your podcast, <laughs> uh, or you sometimes describe your podcast uh, that it's a podcast about designers. Designers. <laughs> and- yeah. And uh, I, I have to um, uh, just mention another uh, quote because um, uh, the book that we have been investigating, bookmaking on the distant side, one of the uh, uh, central, one of the key persons who were arranging uh, that project in, in the 30s was Jane Grabhorn. Um, mm. a, a printmaker uh, and a printer in California, and uh, so and, and she is a person that we have been um, uh, quite um, interested in and knowing more about. Uh, so we uh, read that she has uh, she, she has apparently said that uh, she always felt a, li- a little contemptuous of people who call themselves designers who seem to think this is more artistic and do not want to be thought of as lowly laborers. And Mm. (laughs) I think that's also um, an example of a designer who don't want to call themselves. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But I I do think that there's something to this kind of thread that we've been talking about this whole conversation about um, how we kind of think about history and contemporary practice and the the limits and uh, places where we can break those limits of the labels that we put on it. Um, I don't know what to do with that, but I, I, I think it's something very interesting, which is why I describe this podcast as, as sometimes it's a podcast about designers who don't want to be designers, because at least for myself, so much of my work is kind of trying to find well, is this still graphic design? What is this? Like, is this podcast graphic design? I don't know. I'm, am I a graphic designer that does a podcast? Probably, but I don't know. It's, it's I, I, I find these uh, these questions very interesting, as you can imagine. We agree. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's sort of, um, I think graphic design as a, a profession title graphic design is also quite young. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't know, it's like from the 40s or something. Um, William Addison Dwiggins yeah. coined the term graphic design in 1923, oh, yeah, I think. 23. Um, I've heard some some historians dispute that and think that it's that it, someone else actually had said it <laughs> earlier, but I, I <laughs> he's kind of the one that's credited with mm. it. Yeah, okay, maybe never mind. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter where it's from, but 
maybe just to yeah. say that it's it's in flux uh, right. today and um i think like keeping it open and welcoming like other practices into it that hasn't um, been labeled graphic design before there's just so much um to win i think in that yeah um, because it becomes so much richer um, right the, the practice or the, the field or um yeah the profession yeah i i agree with that uh completely and i think that's what i appreciate about your work and and your collaboration and it's what i also really appreciated about the book and what i think you know gets back to this idea of messy history it's about you know, keeping all of this open. I'm interested. I have just a couple questions to kind of start to 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 wrap up the conversation. I'm I'm interested in how working on natural enemies of books, doing this research, kind of thinking through this, spending time with um, bookmaking on the distaff side, and even thinking about these labels and and the the uh, you know flux of this idea of graphic design. Did this change at all how you think about um, your work as a graphic designer or how you think about yourself as a graphic designer or the type of work that you want to do? I think um, we have a lot of um, very interesting contributions <laughs> in the book. For example, uh, Jess Baines, uh, who has been writing about uh, radical uh, print shops and feminist uh, printing collectives uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s in the UK uh, in her contribution um, r- reading her contribution kind of um, helped me understand <laughs> my own experiences of, um, of uh, designing things collect- uh, collectively uh, and how formative that is and what the qualities uh, in that kind of activity um, uh, in that kind of activities are. Um, and uh, also the contribution by uh, the Swedish poet Ida Buriel, which talks about the uh, relationship between uh, uh, Gertrude Stein and uh, Laura Riding. Um, initially, we uh, when we... Uh, asked uh, Ida uh, to uh, write a contribution for our book. We presented our <laughs> our uh, thoughts and ideas uh, about this uh, anthology and um, and asked if she could uh, write something about Gertrude Stein because we knew that she was familiar with um, her practice. And, and Gertrude Stein is also one of the contributors of the bookmaking on the distaff side. Uh, so we wanted to. Um, make that kind of link uh, and Ilda ended up uh, writing a beautiful contribution about um, the um, the friendship between these two uh, and uh, and how it kind of um, uh, circulates around the printing press um, so uh, yeah I guess um, from working with this book, I have, um, um, I, I have, it has, um, uh, let's say, expanded my understanding of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm. That's great. 
I think also coming back to Jane Grabhorn and um, her contribution to the bookmaking book that we reprinted in our book um, has been to me just really um, inspirational and supportive in um, in typography because it's a, a really satirical and funny take on uh, typographic rules and how mm-hmm. how ridiculous they are and how you <laughs> should break them and yeah um, I think it's really um, I mean that's something that I do anyway I think in typography <laughs> being kind of loose yeah and playing loose but but reading her text from 37 um, is is um, it's like an important supporter somehow yeah. yeah yeah i love that what um what's next for for you what are you thinking about now how do you kind of continue this research or where do you see it going going forward yeah what was what was originally next was to do a book launch talk tour um in in europe um, by train uh, and that has been postponed now maybe into the fall yeah obviously because of the virus <laughs> situation yeah. uh, so we haven't, haven't really launched the book uh, as we had um, expected but that's something that we really look forward to actually present the book to uh, an audience <laughs> and mm. Uh, received um, face-to-face. I think there's many things in our research that never made it into this book, into natural yeah. books. And, um, there, yeah, there's many, many threads that would, would be nice to follow somehow in the future. Um, and also, I think we're working on maybe possibly reprinting the original bookmaking on the the stuff side book but we're working on the copyright issue yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right 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 yeah i understand that it's interesting to hear you say that there are all these threads that you could go further because i kind of felt that i took so many notes reading the book of oh i want to research this person more or this idea more Mm because it would just be mentioned or kind of you know drop there and then move on um and so i hope i hope that you do kind of consider following through on some of those because i think there's i agree with you there's there's a lot a lot to this um my last question and this is a question that i use to end all of these conversations i'm just interested to hear uh what you both are reading right now are you reading anything interesting i i just uh started reading uh the uh, doctoral dissertation of a scholar named miriam Meisner who has been uh, writing um, uh, about skyscrapers <laughs> and um, how they um, often um, uh, are used for um, communicating imaginaries of a financial crisis. And I think that's really interesting. So she takes, she departs from examples uh, in popular, popular culture, films and literature and so on. Um, yeah. Narrating the global financial crisis, urban imaginaries, and politics of myth. This is what I'm reading at the moment. Oh, that sounds that sounds so interesting. 
I think it is. And uh, especially uh, at this moment, when we, at least here in Stockholm, we see, or Sweden, we see a lot of new skyscrapers uh, and um, uh, and also um, perhaps a financial crisis at the moment. So it's kind of um, interesting to me to read this at the moment. Yeah. Hmm. I'm reading a bunch of different things, but I'm, one thing is I'm, I'm trying to get through um, Hersey's magazine. Um, it's a magazine that was published in, in the 70s and 80s uh, from New York, and they have all their issues published online as PDFs, and they're, um, uh, it's like a feminist magazine on art and politics, and yeah, it was edited uh, collectively, so every issue is very different in like tone and design and in content um so yeah i'm reading reading them through (laughs) that's great (laughs) i love that um this this was such a interesting conversation to me i completely loved reading through the book and thinking about these things and it was so nice to kind of talk through some of these ideas that I was kind of picking up from them and kind of hear how you were thinking about ideas in the book thank you so much for being on the podcast I thought this was great thank you thank you so this episode was recorded on May 7th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. 